0: Welcome to Documentary First, a behind-the-scenes look at The Girl Who Wore Freedom, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay, and with me is Christian Taylor, our filmmaker.
1: Hey, how you doing? I'm
0: doing great, Christian. Good to see you. Thank you. And with us, as always, is our trusty-dusty research extraordinaire, Jason Rugg. Hey there. So I am the host of the podcast, and if you are a podcast listener and you love movies, you may have heard of The Movie Proposal. Where I'm the co-host with Sky Jitani, who is on another podcast, The Holy Post, with Phil Vischer, who is on a podcast with Christian Taylor, <laughs> right? The same podcast, The Holy Post,
1: right? But so but that's, what a tangled web we weave. That's you right. Know? That's right. Uh, we have known each other now for quite a long time, and it all kind of began when uh, Phil Vischer started VeggieTales uh, along many many years ago,
0: and then uh, I joined that journey in 1999 for yeah. three years.
1: I just happened to be a neighbor.
0: Lived across the street from you.
1: Yeah. And then—
0: My future wife was living with you. That's true. That's true. Another tangled web.
1: <laughs> and Jason kind of came along. Uh, how long have you been around? Man, I've been here almost three years. I interned about five years ago at yeah. this point.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, we so. kind of watched Jason grow up in this little world. So <laughs> yeah. and now here we are. So
0: So if you're listening to this podcast, you want to learn more about the behind the scenes of the soon to be released documentary, The Girl Who Wore Freedom. This is so uh, what'd you call it, a brainchild of, of yours, Christian? It is a
1: brainchild of mine. It's sort of a uh, something incredible, an incredible story that landed in my lap, really. Um I don't know, what's the word you say? Uh, when something just happens, It's it was meant to be, it's... Serendipity? Serendipitously, yes. <laughs> right. It kind of fell in my lap that way. And um, I, it was a story that I felt compelled to tell. Like, I didn't have another way to get out of it. But...
0: Well, our mission of this podcast is to enlighten, educate, and inspire our audience. And so let's kick it off with a little bit of trivia
1: The Girl Who Wore Freedom
0: is a documentary, so uh, Christian, can you tell us, what is cinema verite?
1: Cinema verite, as, as best I understand it, it is the truth of the film, the essence of the film, what you're trying to get across. But it might be good if we ask our researcher over here what the exact definition is. Cinema Virte is a style of filmmaking
0: characterized by realistic, typically documentary motion pictures that avoid artificially and artistic effect and are generally made with simple equipment.
1: It is what it is. Does that
0: describe your film?
1: Yes. All right. Very much so. We are a documentary. Um, It is – we are trying to tell the truth of a a story, and um, we're doing it very simply, as simply as we can because we don't have a very big budget.
0: Understood. So (laughs) – and this is your first film, yes, you are the first time filmmaker we're talking about here, yes. so why don't you give us a quick background because it, you're I mean you have an extensive background in performing and the arts and and, and film, but not making a film. So what's your background? Yeah, so
1: I um, studied um, theater and broadcasting in college. And before that, I worked on Capitol Hill in radio and television news. And I did a lot of, you know, interviewing of congressmen and senators. And I learned how to uh, make little audio programs and video programs. This is back, you know, I don't know. Were you alive in 1980? I was alive. (laughs) When were you born?
0: Uh, I was negative fifteen. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: oh, <gosh>. oh. <laughs> oh man, I'm so old. So uh, so anyway, that is kind of how I got into the world of um, media, and then I, I majored in theater and broadcasting in college. And after that, I went with a touring company, um, the National Players. They're the nation's longest-running classical touring company, mm. I might add. Um, and then uh, I took off, had children, and it the whole industry changed. It went from um, analog, you know, actually using tape to a digital world that I didn't understand. Um, And then I went and volunteered at Wheaton College Radio. You may have heard that. Mm -hmm. And I walked in there and didn't recognize a single piece of equipment. And they, you know, trained me kind of on this new digital world. Um, And that was back in the early 1990s.
0: But since then, you have gone on to have a very successful career as a voiceover actress.
1: That is true. Thank you very much. Which i got to say,
0: from my experience of working a little bit in the film industry, and especially being at VeggieTales, meeting a lot of wannabe voiceover actors, because it seems like an easy gig, yes, a lot of fun, make a ton of money, right? But so, so difficult to get into that industry and be successful. And when I heard you were doing this, I, I kind of— Chalked it up as one of those people who was just gonna give it a shot, and in three years, you'd be onto something else. But right. you are not only successful, I think you are fantastic because several times my wife Angie will play a commercial and say, Listen to this. And she'll say, it's you, and I won't believe her. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: well, thanks. You know, I'm so glad you point that out. It's so true. Like, I had somebody say to me just today, oh, yeah, I was thinking about having my daughters do that. I mean, it can't be that hard, and I just want to be like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about going in the world of voiceover, let me tell you this. It is the most competitive, the most difficult, um, you know, industry to kind of break in in this entertainment world. Um, And it takes a lot of money up front, a lot of stuff studying, a lot of connections, a lot of different stuff. But— What I've learned in Chicago is, yes, I've been very successful at that. But in order to make a living, make a good living, you really need to diversify. And I wanted to dig into the Chicago production community, and I began volunteering with a lot of other producers on their projects. So about 15 years ago, I started working with a guy named Lars Ulberg, who was a producer from L.A., and he'd moved home to take care of his parents, and Sandy Gordon, another producer in Chicago. And they I kind of cut my teeth on producing as, you know, helping them with their projects and found out I had a real knack for it. And um, I think about it, you know, as I look back, I honestly think it's because I've been in the industry so long and I've seen so many different pieces of it, but I also think it's because I'm a good mom.
0: Well, (laughs) you are a great mom, and you're also great at bringing people together, which I'm sure that is a big part of a, a producer's role is finding talented people and getting them in the same room and driving in the same direction.
1: I say it's getting in the same boat and rowing in the same. I've said that, like, I don't know how many times. Okay. Same concept. Okay.
0: So uh, we'll go with the boat analogy. So who else is in the boat with you, uh, and how is this film Getting made.
1: Yeah. So um, I have to say that the most important thing from the very beginning was finding the right group of people because I knew that I didn't know how to tell a documentary or, or create a film at all, but I did know a lot of people in the industry that could help me. And so I went to Lars Allberg and Sandy Gordon and said, hey, this is my idea. You know, can I do this? What do you think about this? And they began advising me on ways to, to start in terms of finding out what my story story is and all of the different challenges that lay ahead of me. And, um, you know, I had to talk to my family. We all had to commit as a family that we were going to do this financially in every other way. You know, my time was going to be severely limited. Um, But I, I think what's interesting at this point, and it's why I feel like this documentary is critically important, I could have never fathomed really that I could produce a film. And now here we are, almost two years later, really three from the very beginning, and if I would have known what I know now about how to create what I'm in the process of creating, I don't know that I would have ever started. But what I do know now looking back is that if I can do this, anyone can do this truthfully. Mm -hmm. You just have to have a better understanding of the industry, and you have to believe that you can do this. And there are some individual things that you do need to do and gifts that you need to cultivate. But truthfully, if you're listening to this podcast and you have a story to tell, I want to encourage you to think about how to tell it, to keep listening to this podcast, because I'm going to give you a lot of um, successes I've had and failures and mistakes I've made. But one thing that Ken Burns says to me, he's one of my favorite documentary filmmakers, he says that truthfully, you can study all you want about making a documentary. But you know nothing until you make your first one. You just gotta go do it. You just need to do it. And um, I find that to be a hundred percent true. So
0: well, we just had the producer of ELF on our podcast recently, Todd I'm gonna to say. Comernicke. Last, Comernicke. He is he was telling us a story how he often gets invited to speak at universities and colleges and so forth to wanna to be producers and writers and so forth, and give his story and advice, and he says, I'm gonna tell you right now what I'm gonna tell him which is if you going to be a writer, you need to leave this auditorium and you need to go home and start writing. Yep. And you just keep writing and writing and writing. And Sky Jatani, who was also a writer, he jumped all over that and said, yes, people are looking for, I don't know, the shortcut way or just a class to take or the inspiration they need when they just need to be home writing. They just need to go do it. Right. So now do you, you don't have a film studio or a sound stage or a, not. You know, a giant production no. company. I mean, so – Like, give us uh, maybe a minute or two on just how are you actually making the film? I mean, first of all, you had to go to Normandy to shoot the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the biggest challenges. This is a film that is in two languages in two different countries, um, and that is an incredible challenge. And uh, the, the other challenge is that my entire team is virtual. None of us work in the same place. Okay. And so we have we have endeavored to do something that is almost nearly impossible. Like I feel like we are on the cutting edge of what new technology is allowing us to do, but we have run into so many different problems because no technology exists to kind of help us. We've had to cobble things together in order to get something done. It reminds me of when Phil talks about how he wanted to animate characters and there was no CGI at the time and he cobbled together a machine. Sure. So much so that he got candy bars at first, but then vegetables, <laughs> but they couldn't even have any arms. So it it's sort of the same thing, but just you know, theor not what
0: you're inventing by necessity? Yes.
1: Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I have a lot of things to share on this podcast about how we, um, you know, are doing what we're doing right now. So just so you know, we are in the post-production phase. Um, We are set to screen this in Normandy this summer. Post-production means you've shot the film. Yes,
0: it's all on what you know most people call video or film, right? And then it's someone is editing it right now.
1: A lot, several people are editing. Jason is one of our, you know, trusty assistant editors, but we have about five or six that are kind of helping us. And, and then we've had translators and transcribers and people that are subtitling. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you have ever wondered why the credits are so long <laughs> at the end of movies, um, I can tell you. Who's the best boy? <laughs> like, we don't even have you a don't best have boy. You don't even have a best boy. No, oh. no you it's like interesting. A boy? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can cut out a lot of jobs that you see on that list, but you still have to have people that do all those responsibilities. You just lessen the people that do them.
0: So going forward on this podcast, what— Types of topics are we going to be hitting, uh, so our audience can get an idea.
1: Yeah, well, you you can you're you going to cover that. Yeah, go ahead <laughs> because you're going to drive this. You're going to be asking me the questions and.
0: Well, Christian, we're going to talk about the inspiration. How did you even get this idea? How did it get started? So that beginning phase, that serendipitous experience you had, um, then the actual like step by step putting it together. Uh, what is the you know the day job? Um, uh, in raising money, having investors, that's a big part of it. Because you're not just there filming it, but you're talking to people about getting involved from a financial point of view and so on. So we'll cover a lot of those details so you get a, a better idea of how a documentary gets made in this day and age.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's super important to understand, like, you know, uh, when did we decide to make this story? Why do I say that I feel felt <clears throat> compelled to do it? I didn't have another choice. Um, how do I financially Work and you know pay the overhead for Taylor Productions at the same time. I'm creating a whole new business, which is what a film is. Um, How do I figure out what the story is? How do we you know fundraise in order to to do this film? Um, You know what do you do to tell a documentary story? What are the different pieces? Um, You know what is it like to work with a writer or a composer? How do you find these people? how do you get people to volunteer when you have (laughs) no money? Um, Spoiler alert, it happens to do with podcasts sometimes. Um, You know, and, you know, how do you conduct interviews? How do you, you know, uh, talk about—we can talk about lighting. We can talk about camera. We can talk about—there's just so many different things. But in the end, you know, one of the things that I think is most important is how do you get the ball across the finish line? Because what I am finding is where projects collapse— most of the time, is in the post-production. And I can tell you why and how to avoid that. Well, I can't wait to learn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. Well, thank you for uh, Jason for being here, Christian for doing this (laughs) podcast and making the film. Um, I just want to say to our listening audience, thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. And next time on Documentary First,
1: do you know what our subject's going to be? I think I might have an idea. Uh, well, I don't. Do you want to tell us? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the inspiration behind the story. The inspiration. How did it start? Yeah. All right. I can't wait. So, thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody.